Welcome to the Judgment Call Podcast, a podcast where I bring together some of the most curious minds on the planet. Risk takers, adventurers, travelers, investors, entrepreneurs, and simply mind bogglers. Find all episodes of this show. Simply go to Spotify, iTunes, or YouTube, or go to our website, judgmentcallpodcast.com. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube. This episode of the Judgment Call Podcast is sponsored by Mighty Travels Premium. Full disclosure, this is my business. What we do at Mighty Travels Premium is to find the airfare deals that you really want. Thousands of subscribers have saved up to 95% in the airfare. Those include $150 round-trip tickets to Hawaii for many cities in the US, or $600 life-led tickets in business class from the US to Asia, or $100 business class life-led tickets from Africa round-trip all the way to Asia. In case you didn't know, about half the world is open for business again and accepts travelers. Most of those countries are in South America, Africa, and Eastern Europe. To try out Mighty Travels Premium, go to mightytravels.com slash MTP, or if that's too many letters for you, simply go to MTP, the number four, and the letter U.com to sign up for your 30-day free trial. Actually, was born in the region in Argentina that produces most of the mat in the world. So, uh, so uh, you know, I, I, I grew up uh, drinking this, and uh, and then left it when I moved to Germany and was all over the world. But now, with the globalization, you even get mat in my supermarket downstairs. Yeah, it's like a virus that follows you. Pablo, mm -hmm. welcome back to the Judgment Call podcast. Um, you've been here a little while ago, episode number four. You were one of the adventurous That's first right. ones to come on the podcast, so really appreciate <laughs> you coming back. Um, thanks for dialing in from Dubai. I know it's really early. It's kind of late here, so really appreciate that. It's a pleasure, Thorsten. Uh, it's been a it's been a, a great fun uh, talking to you the first time round uh, in in the in the first podcast that I participated, and and meanwhile you've been so prolific uh, that I. Uh, you know, I'm I'm really impressed uh, the breadth uh, of of uh, guests that you've had. So it's a it's a real pleasure to be back. Uh, listening Thanks to myself the first time round, listening to myself the first time round, I said I, I realized that I have to really improve uh, what I call speech farts, which uh, is you know stopping and uh, saying uh, in in the middle of the sentence. So I'll. I'll I'll make an I'll make an effort to make a better job this time around. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, that's fine. As they say, you know, just be yourself. I I always hated that, but uh, it's it's true to to this extent that you know we all feel like we we gotta improve when when, when there's public speaking, and that's correct, right? We want to be our, our the best version of ourselves, and I think this is correct. But on the other hand, it also takes away these you know creative nitty grittiness of ourselves. What what makes us the person who we are really. And that's obviously I feel with these with over video interviews, a lot of people, because they're in the familiar environment, they're very different if they would be on stage. So I feel when, when I do these podcasts, it's what I learned. I didn't know that either. And obviously yeah. it affects me too. I get a more a more comfortable version of people. If if I would have a real studio, I don't even think I would get the same person at the same interview. It would be much more, I don't know, artificial maybe. So yeah. that's just my assumption. And that's the first time actually I can drink beer because usually most of the interviews I have to do and most of the podcasts early in the morning, like 7, 8, 9 a.m. The last one, I think it was late for you. It was early for me. 
Well, um, uh, talking about drinking beer, obviously I'm based in Dubai uh, and we are in the middle of Ramadan. The sun has come up, so uh, fasting time has begun. So I'm sorry to say, my friend, that uh, you are not supposed to drink beer. <laughs> whoa, 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 I can do it. I can do it. You can't. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Ramadan is a big deal, right? In Dubai, it's really, is it still observed? So you can't eat when the sun is out until the sun is gone, right? That's the idea. Uh, yeah, so uh, obviously Dubai is a, is a very, very, very multicultural city with a, you know, 95% of the population are foreigners and 5% only are locals, uh, Emiratis. So that's, you know, 20 times more foreigners than Emiratis. Uh, that's unprecedented. Barely any any other place in the world has this kind of ratios. Uh, so, you, you know, you have the whole world in a city and... Uh, in terms of religions, obviously uh, Islam is a, is a very important religion, but, but you have here uh, perhaps, perhaps even a majority of uh, Hindus, uh, more, more than Muslim. I, I, to be honest, I don't know the statistics, but uh, the number of, of Hindus and, and Muslims must be comparable. Uh, around about 50% of population in Dubai comes from India, but obviously India is not 100% Hindu. Uh, so you've you got a, a lot of Muslims in India as well, and Muslims in India would tend to would be more more uh, would have more affinity to come to Dubai. <clears throat> uh, so the uh, you know in, in terms of the, the religions, I would say there is a kind of a fair split between uh, in uh, 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 Islam, uh, uh, Hinduism, and Christianism. Uh, However, obviously, the official religion of the country is Islam, and uh, consequently, Ramadan is respected and followed, and uh, the whole the whole country changes when Ramadan starts. So, uh, it used to be so it goes in 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 ebbs and flows, and this is something that I I would like to touch in other in other aspects in other dimensions of of uh, life in Dubai. But um, there were years where the tradition of Ramadan was enforced in a more strict way, uh, such as that restaurants that wanted to serve food during the day would need to get a special license. Uh, and then hence the government made it more difficult so that the majority of restaurants would close during Ramadan during the day. Uh, and. Uh, and, and, and serve in the, in, at, the, at night. So obviously for those that don't know Ramadan, uh, you're supposed to fast during the day fasting, both in terms of food and water, uh, so that you don't eat when the sun is out. And then when the sun goes down, uh, you break the fast, uh, what is called iftar. And, uh, and then the city comes to life, everybody goes, eats, and, and, and then the, the whole life occurs during the night, basically. And then during the day, you have a kind of a, a slow pace of, of, of everything, of work, of, uh, um, so uh, working hours are reduced as per labor law, uh, and uh, you know, the whole, the, whole, the whole life changes. This year, I guess because the government is trying to support businesses to uh, ameliorate the impact of COVID, uh, they have said no licenses required, all restaurants are, are allowed to serve during the whole day and uh, pretty much all the restrictions that 
what we were used to having before. So, so even licensed restaurants before would have to have a black curtain in front of it so that if a Muslim would walk in front of it, would be not be tempted by seeing the food being served, right? And uh, th that has been removed as well. So, so you walk around, all the restaurants are open. They cannot serve outside, they have to serve inside, but otherwise it feels uh, this year, as opposed to previous years, more like if you were, if you would be, uh, say, in a in a Muslim neighborhood in in London, right? Or yeah, Manchester. I, find quite, I find this quite amazing. It seems like the UAE is quickly moving towards a path. I think that most of us didn't really foresee. So one was the the, the Abraham records or accords. So the the opening up towards Israel, and then now I think Israelis are are able to officially go to the Arab Emirates, which was kind of an unofficial business before. Um, for what I what I've seen, and correct me if that's wrong, the citizenship now that is offered to foreigners, that the foreign ownership rules, um, or foreigners can actually own a whole company or a piece of land, and um, yes. it seems like this this big change is afoot in Dubai. It seems like it's it's moving into you know more like a Singapore style global metropolis. Is that triggered by just cultural change and by realities on the ground, or is it well we out of money, we need to to get more money in, so we we relax the world. Right. Well, first of all, I'm impressed how well informed you are. Uh, that 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 is. I hope it wasn't all bogus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes that's a problem, right? When my information is outdated. So it is still the case. Uh, yes. So uh, indeed, there's been uh, last year in the middle of the pandemic, uh, we were, I think, out of the lockdown, but still. Uh, pretty much in, in, in the pandemic, must have been in you know, late summer last year, 2020, a, a number of uh, rules of liberalizing many aspects of life uh, here in the UAE, not only in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates. By the way, the UAE is uh, the union of uh, seven emirates that came together in 1971. Uh, actually, Six came in 1971, and another one came a couple of years later. But uh, seven, seven emirates, one of which is Dubai, and uh, the other well-known emirate is, um, is Abu Dhabi, where the capital is. Um, they have, because they came together only in 1971, and previously were kind of separate uh, states, uh, called trucial states, uh, a protectorate from the UK, uh, from, from the British Empire, and um, they they retain a lot of uh, a lot of independence. So there is a common army. There is a common currency. Uh, there is uh, there are some common laws, but a lot of legislation is done. All all, all the all the economy, all the uh, business is done at the, at the Emirate level. So, for instance, I am a resident of the Emirate of Dubai. Have a Dubai visa. And all my rights uh, as a resident are linked to, you know, obviously I can go through to, to other Emirates as well, but, but uh, all, all my, my, my resident rights are linked to my residence in the Emirate of Dubai. For instance, when it comes to vaccination, we will talk, come to talk about that. Um, the, uh, my vaccination was linked to, uh, I, I had the right to get a vaccine in Dubai. I couldn't go to another Emirate to get a vaccine because I'm a resident of Dubai. Anyway, um, the the Emirates have um, come together and uh, and and and, and uh, agreed to 
liberalized quite a few things which were traditionally seen as odd, so to say, in the international concert of nations. Uh, if, if, you, if you come from the West uh, and you come to the, to, to, to the UAE uh, 10 years ago or 13 years ago as I moved here, uh, you would say, hmm, this, this is weird, right? Uh, these things include, as you mentioned, the uh, right to own a company uh, as a foreigner that was limited <clears throat> before, where you could only own a minority of a company, uh, up to 49%, and the 51% of the company had to be owned by a local Emirati. Yeah. Now, business thrives here, and there are lots of foreign-owned business which are, which are uh, you know, very, very successful. Um, and they all have uh, operated using a workaround to that rule of 51% ownership by local, whereby the local would in, um, you know, the Euro own 51% of the business, but there would be a side agreement whereby 51% uh, of the profits, uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be entitled to 51% of the profits. He would be entitled yeah. to uh, a, a payment of, of uh, you know, uh, which is negotiated on a, on, on a private basis, right? Capitalism always so, finds a way. It's very exactly, hard to stop exactly. capitalism. You can try, but yeah. it, it, it doesn't last very long, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, this is uh, a place where capitalism has really thrived, and we'll come to talk about that in more detail. But so that, that's one rule that has been lifted, or, or it's been announced that it will be lifted. The actual implementation of that is, is occurring um, for pretty much the entire economy, but a few strategic sectors that include oil and gas, uh, include uh, airlines, uh, where kind of the government wants to keep an eye on and and keep the control. But otherwise, before it used to be, um, you know, more difficult as a foreigner to to own 100% uh, of your company. Meanwhile, over the over the course of the last 20 years or so, one is, that's one of the reasons why that explains the the gigantic boom we've had in Dubai over the last two decades, uh, one of the key, key factors for that has been uh, the opening of so-called free zones, which uh, is a concept where, whereby the government uh, uh, says, determines that a certain neighborhood, uh, arbitrary, an area of the city, uh, between this road and this road and this road and this, this road, you have this square here and there, foreigners can own a company as long as that company operates in a certain sector, let's say an internet company, or let's say a design related company, or let's say a, um, uh, a media related company. Then a foreigner can come establish there, uh, own 100% of the company. In some cases you even have for the so-called DIFC, the Dubai International Finance Center, you even have uh, English common law within the boundaries of the DIFC, right? So you yeah. walk you walk 500 meters in one direction and the other, and then you, you, you cross you cross the board without, you know, just just walking, walking across the street, you're walking from, uh, you know, Emirati legal system into the British common law system without, without noticing. That's this is obviously not yeah. for criminal offenses. This is only for, uh, for commercial law, uh, but, but it, it, you know, companies can, can, uh, Based in that DIFC uh, free zone, can 
elect to operate within the uh, British common law system, which which is very attractive for for many companies. And so so that that has been established over the course of the last twenty years or so. That has been a great success. And now they they basically said, the government has said, well that has been a success. So let's expand that to the entire country. Uh, so the basically the free zones, with the exception of the strategic sectors, will apply to the entire country. It's almost so that's like, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry to interrupt, but it's almost like the the business in the, the the leadership wants to encourage business. It's it's not like what we see in California or the New York State, where you have a leadership that does everything in their power to make business possible. That's kind of the, 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 that's kind of in okay with the populace, which is really strange. And I compare this always with, with the state of Florida in the US. Florida has great leaders, people who are very, they seem very honest and they definitely help business as much as they can. And in terms of what regulations they put forth. But the people, that's another story of Florida. Like it's hard to find someone you would, it's, it's difficult to find a kind of um, leadership in, in the common populace of Florida. And I feel in California, for instance, is the opposite. You have a lot of people who are great entrepreneurs, a lot of people who have a lot of business experience, but the populace in the government is complete, completely idiotic. I mean, they, they are, when you say the word regulation, it only means they make something that is easy right now, just complicated and bureaucratic and, and useless. And so the word regulation has become, when, when, when we think of it in the U.S., it's always... It's terrible, and it will make everyone worse off. But it seems like the the Emirates is one of the few places in the world. I noticed from Germany too. Even though the it's a very efficient bureaucracy, it kind of just tries to mess with you. It seems like in the Emirates, at least in right now, they seem to use regulation to make everyone slightly better off, which is a really rare case. Well, hundred percent, and I'll, I'll, I would like to tell you an anecdote uh, that that just just to give you a sense of to what extent this country is all about business. They say that you, you, know, you, you, get, you get to know your wife uh, when you divorce her, right? Uh, and you, you, get to know, uh, um, you get to know your siblings uh, when it comes to distributing your, uh, your, your, uh, uh, your, the state of your parents. Um, well, I think that you get to know what a country is about in a time of crisis and obviously we had the perfect crisis last year with uh, with covid where in uh, here in in dubai we we are kind of in the uh, in the center of the world uh, uh connecting you know the, the the largest international airport connecting the entire world uh you know hundreds of flights a day to china uh when COVID came up, the government reacted very quickly. And as it turned out, in hindsight, very effectively, um, locking us down, uh, almost China style, very, very, very strict during a, a brief period of time uh, to make sure that the healthcare system would cope with the initial wave of, uh, of, um, uh, of, of the virus. And, and then, with a progressive release, and meanwhile we are pretty pretty much back to normal. Uh, uh, but the first, you know, the first lockdown, those uh, two months or so, where we had a very strict lockdown, um, that had a that was a gigantic shock to uh, the private sector, obviously. And here, you know, the private sector is what drives the economy, 
and uh, I happen to, you know, I'm the CEO. I run a company, uh, and so I, I, I had to. Um, unfortunately, I was <laughs> I, I was in the position of having to to uh, to to make sure that our business survives during the crisis, right? And I was absolutely impressed by what the government did here, um, which as far as I know is, is unprecedented. Um, and this is what they did. So literally a couple of days after the lockdown started, um, the Ministry of Labor came out with an edict that said, basically, companies have a carte blanche to do whatever they need to do. The already very business-friendly labor law of the country is, I don't want to go into the details, but basically lifted. Private companies, do whatever you need to do, right? Yeah. So that was, for me, absolutely crucial to make sure that our business survives, right? And we try to do, uh, you know, as much as possible to protect our staff as well. Uh, you know, we have hundreds of employees and, uh, but we could go into a conversation with the employees and say, well, look, this is, this is the situation here now. Uh, uh, we, we need to make sure that the business survives. So this is what we need to do. And, 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 and things would, I don't want to be specific about what we did in our business, but but kind of the range of options that you had what was to uh, either terminate uh, employees, uh, w you know, at relative ease, which you can do in this country anyway. Uh, so this is a higher fireplace. Uh, uh, but we you can you can also negotiate uh, uh, re salary reduction, salary pay cuts. You could even put people on unpaid leave. Uh, and you know you, you could do all sorts of things that would allow a business in a completely unexpected exogenous shock as, as such as this to make sure that that you survive right um so that was i i i, I thought i was really impressed at uh, at that quick response from the government giving businesses the freedom to do it uh knowing that that will have an impact on on the population, but uh, but otherwise, you know, that if, if that wouldn't have happened, uh, many businesses would have not survived. Uh, in the West, what you had, uh, in many countries in the West, where, uh, you know, money, uh, uh, governments would, would print money like there's no tomorrow, uh, use that freshly printed money to either, uh, you know, line the pockets of, of consumers so that many consumers ended up having higher discretionary incomes during the pandemic as, before the pandemic, uh, or uh, you know, subsidizing companies um, using you know kind of dubious uh, uh, dubious uh, 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 criteria on who gets what, right? And that has been very criticized in the U.S., as you very well know. Uh, you know, those companies have uh, you know a, a higher bu uh, lobby budgets ended up getting more money usually than than others. So anyway, ended up being a mess here. They basically said, dear private companies, you do what you need to do, right? And we're not going to support you with, with money, 
but we support you with a regulatory environment that is conducive, conduct, uh, you know, that helps you with, with, uh, so that you, you, you know, you, you can do what, whatever you need to do, right? So I, I was, I was impressed by that. Where's your compassion, Pablo? <laughs> I'm joking. No, I mean, you, you what, what you, and I think this is a rare honesty that you, that you show, is that, you know, there is this, this, this image, and the U.S. has moved at least in its public perception of our capitalism works quite into, I don't know, the late stages of Eastern German um, media propaganda. I feel that's not true everywhere, but if you, if you look at mainstream newspapers, the idea is kind of that that empathy is, is the only thing we need. So capitalism basically is, is, is needed to support a basic lifestyle, but it should be, you know, we hear these words everywhere, equity, equitable. Um, and then we, we, we shouldn't fire people just because it's this event, we should have them in the company. And then, you know, it all sounds like socialism. Um, whenever, whenever, this is obviously more, a talking exercise is not what's on the ground. Like there's no labor laws, there's no changes into labor laws. And yes, we basically have no, no such thing besides a, a basic protection. So you obviously can hire and fire people. And that's, that's hasn't changed over, over the, the course of the pandemic or the so-called pandemic. And I felt what, what's, what's rare and it's gotten more rare here, but I think it's changing again is that people speak up for, you know, this, this, this self-fulfilling prophecy of capitalism, that if you select, like evolution, the businesses that are most able to do their job and not just pump them with cheap, full of cheap loans, but you you let them compete and select the ones that are actually the best of what they do, maybe because they're cheaper, maybe because they are more, more efficient, maybe because they have better customer service. This is a much better recipe. And it's a bit in public perception. It's come under out of siege here. And I feel like... Maybe the battle in, in PR, at least, has been lost in the U.S. And I'm, I'm glad that you, you, you're so outspoken about this. It is better to go through this crisis, save some companies or let them save themselves, and then, you know, once it comes back, rehire and have them as, as really healthy companies, healthy balance sheets, and go from there. And this is, on a, I think, on a federal level, especially in the U.S., where we, we feel, where we act, very socialist, where the Fed acts like a big socialist control agency. I almost think like people feel we have enough money. We don't have to compete. Like China, we don't have an enemy right now, right? There's China a little bit, but we don't have a Russia to compete with. We, we are so rich, we just print another five trillion and we're all going to be fine. And this is a really strange world we're in. So, so uh, I, 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 just to comment what uh, your, what you said half jokingly, um, on, on compassion, right? I think that a competitive environment in a way forces you to be compassionate, right? Because the, I, you know, running a company, I need to be able to keep my stuff because it's going to be a world after the pandemic. So I have to treat my stuff well um, so that they will they will, you know, at the time when when uh, when 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 the economy comes back, I will have my my best stuff, out and you know, they they won't leave, be leaving to another company because they felt that they were not uh, treated fairly, right? So the argument, the argument it, obviously it, is the capitalists exploit people and they kind of invent boundaries so people can't leave. 
right? That's the argument. I, I'm not saying, I don't believe in this, it's bullshit. But that's the argument that you create these, these ghettos, mind ghettos, so to speak. So you can exploit people for lower than what they should, for a lower price than what they should get because you still make money, right? So, so why don't they right. earn more money? So you, you don't deserve anything as organization. And because you yeah. do this, that's, you exploit people, so to speak. And uh, if you change that, then labor is what comes, right? That's that's kind of the modern labor theory. Labor is like a consciousness. It's the modern, the modern and, and, and that, 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 that might that might very well apply to uh, to, to certain uh, sectors that have different uh, you know uh, competitive dynamics. In you know in in, in my business in education, uh, retaining the staff is something that is highly valued by all stakeholders. Um, so 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 it, it is it is it has a high uh, you know high level of importance uh, to be able to retain uh, to retain staff. Um, so, so that we have, uh, you know, e even if I wouldn't care about the people, which, which I, which I do, but if, even if I wouldn't, right, purely from the business perspective, I would have a motivation to, uh, to be able to retain uh, the staff and, 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 and hence do, you know, behave in a way that maximizes my retention. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and also, uh, the, when it comes to, uh, the competitive environment, uh, you know, in, in my business in particular, if, if, we, if we don't treat people well, they will leave because they will have options elsewhere. Um, uh, so, so that in my business in particular, I can say that the, you know, clearly you, you, you don't need a moral layer uh, to, uh, to drive your decision-making or an ethical layer to drive your decision-making because the business itself justifies it. I still have that moral and, and ethical layer, but the business, purely the business, would justify being uh, you know, compassionate for your staff because yeah. you, want to retain, uh, you want to retain them and, and you don't want them to leave. But here's the problem. If you, if you say that, say we have a separate moral layer and all the businesses around you, they, they, they're slave drivers, right? They're literally, they mistreat all their employees. So let's assume we only see Dubai, which again, isn't true. Um, but let's assume we only look at Dubai and everyone around you is a slave driver and you are just a slightly better slave driver. Does that make you morally superior or not? Right. And that's that you, you can come up with, with like a caricature of that picture. Mm -hmm. So the, the incentive to treat people is there, but the question is, both, is it, is there like a moral moral minimum we can we can apply? I, I don't actually know, right? So the, that, that's the argument people make with slavery. I was just talking to Caitlin about this. We abolished slavery because we could, because we had machines, but we had slavery for 2000 years and nobody cared about it, right? And then we suddenly had the technology to replace manual work and suddenly, oh, we feel really bad about slavery. But 2000 years before, <laughs> nobody cared, right? So I find this very yeah. convenient, very convenient. And we are kind of there with animals now. So we almost close to having you know, protein that we, we can grow in, in the lab. And then we say, oh yeah, these poor animals. And uh, I mean, it's been going on for like 30 years probably now. Yeah. So this yeah. sounds very convenient to me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I, 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 I feel a little bit in shaky ground to talk about uh, morality. And obviously I, I, it's, it's not my intention to, uh, Put myself in in, in 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 any 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 scale there. Uh, I, 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 the point that I wanted to make is just that uh, 
oftentimes the invisible hand of the market uh, does work. Uh, and, and the more you might try to manipulate that and, and, and set boundaries to, 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 to the freedom of people to express their, themselves either as, as employers or as employees, uh, the more you end up with distortions that uh, might create a, you know, a short-term uh, gain, but over the long run, you end up with a, with a mess that, uh, you know, uh, from, from, from what I read, what you're saying, you, you know, you have the feeling that, that the U.S. is embarking in that, in that, in that path, right? So uh, the U.S., you know, the, the U.S., which used to be the beacon of, of freedom and, and individuality, uh, and, and, and that is succumbing under, uh, you know, th those, those well-intentioned, I'm sure well-intentioned uh, uh, moral arguments, uh, but which end up having uh, such bad con such you know bad consequences um, be because of the uh, uh, what uh, the economist Frederick Bastiat uh, used to call you know there is what what you see or what you don't see so you have the 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 immediate effects of 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 a, of a policy or 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 a, or a decision and then all the you know a long tail of of uh, of, of not not necessarily immediate, not necessarily uh, very clear, uh, clearly connected uh, uh, um, consequences, which end up making the the whole thing uh, actually uh, not not not, uh, uh, not not really overall not really a positive decision. Well, right now, these are certainly just mind games. Business on the ground doesn't change much. Um, there's obviously a tech economy that runs slightly different, but they're monopolies and they can kind of do whatever they want, right? They, they can just redefine business, but it's in their small sector. Once they're not a monopoly anymore, they are being taken by the invisible hand again, so to speak. But it's definitely it's something that, that is stretching that, that, that format of capitalism of John Locke and, and Adam Smith that we used to, maybe it wasn't so outspoken. And that's also my question with, with Dubai. There is a lot of institutions in the U.S. that have accumulated over the years that kind of have inbaked social values. And they come out of, mostly out of Scotland, of Edinburgh, 17th, 18th century. And someone just brought it for the Constitution and then we bake these values into these institutions. And we, 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 we just lived with them for the longest time, but we didn't really explain what's in there. We just, okay, this is the law and you have to abide by it. And I'm like, so, but, but what if the whole assumption is wrong? Yeah, yeah, but that's all just theoretical. Don't worry about it. It's all good. And I think it is, but it, it's not explained to anyone. Maybe it doesn't have to be, but now people have time and, and the money and the resources to ask for, but have and ask questions. And isn't that also a stretch in Dubai when you, you know, a lot of places are expressively in the Muslim world, expressively based on Sharia law. And Dubai is going all the way, you know, there's, we could, there's so many examples in the Quran, and we don't have to take these old books literally. I, I don't encourage anyone to do that, but if we take the typical orthodox interpretation of the Quran and see Dubai, isn't that quite a stretch? Aren't people like a little worried? About uh, Sharia law, you're talking? Sharia law, but also how the society is developing. So it is, you know, the influx of tourists, the, the people on, on, on the beaches, literally. If I'm, you know, very traditional, um, I grew up in a village, I don't know, in Pakistan, come to Dubai and see, uh, this is not a Muslim country. Not like, it is so far away from Muslim country that I can even imagine. Oh. A lot of people would say it's also about Christianity. Same, same problem, right? But Christianity, for some reason, has been going through this two, three hundred years ago, more or less. Yeah. 
that, that's, that's, a, that's a very interesting point. And just to close the circle to the comment you made, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, uh, regarding the, the liberalization that Dubai or the UAE uh, is introducing, uh, two of the most um, interesting uh, areas that got liberalized uh, are related to what you just said, which are first the right of cohabitation uh, up until, uh, to be honest, I don't know whether it's been already enforced. It's been announced, whether it's been implemented in law or not, I don't know, I, I haven't followed that, but uh, uh, it, it's been announced last year that for the first time, uh, cohabitation will be allowed, which means that you know up until then, or perhaps now, uh, whenever the law is uh, implemented, um, it was not allowed for unmarried couples to live in the same uh, in the same accommodation, uh, and and that was an you know an offense, right? So the police could knock on your door uh, at midnight and find out that you were uh, you know together with a, with a woman that is not your wife, and that would be a legal offense. Um, that will be allowed going forward. Um, so that's one. Second, uh, It doesn't sound so liberal. <laughs> that sounds, <laughs> it sounds like something, you know, I mean, obviously the state should be stay out of people's bedrooms, number one, and number two. It, a lot of places have those regulations, and I know there's a, there's a lot of laws against... Um, homosexual sex, but it's not enforced. It's it's basically, it's there, but it hasn't been anything enforced in, in decades, probably centuries. Exactly. It yeah, should yeah, go yeah. away, but I wouldn't stress about it. But, but right. was it actually enforced in Dubai? No, uh, that, 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 that's that's a great point. It was not, uh, I mean, I personally, I've been here 13 years. I, I don't know of any case where that has been enforced. Uh, there's been a couple of uh, cases of uh, kind of that that came up in the press uh, that were you know very kind of sun newspaper material so to say uh, where uh, say a husband was cheating on his wife uh, wife found, found out uh, she found that she she followed him found saw that he was getting uh, into a hotel or somewhere with another woman called the police police went there uh, who's this woman both ended up in jail, right? You had these cases. It has not been enforced unless there is somebody that kind of triggered the whole thing, right? Yeah. Um, but that, but that, even that is going to go away now, right? That sounds like so, so that, that, Pablo. <laughs> that's how, that's how well, these places used to run, you know? They, they, someone would snitch you out in your blog and only because they wanted your apartment or because they wanted your job and they would find oh, someone right? snitch on you. Yeah, that was like the modus operandi. And it's not good. These things should, I mean, the, the, if you have an authority, they should stay away as much as possible. I mean, this freedom from coercion is just, it's so necessary to human development. I mean, obviously, Absolutely. it's a matter of debate what is coercion, right? So, but it's 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 definitely a, a different viewpoint everyone has adopted. And that you can trigger it as a, as a, as a jealous um, wife or husband, that's, that's pretty crazy. That, that was, it, it, was it is, it is. Yeah. But that, that, that was the case, but that is changing, right? And the second point that uh, is changing related to 
kind of the this place being religious versus secular uh, is uh, regarding alcohol. As you know, uh, alcohol is considered haram in uh, in Islam, i.e., uh, you know, you shouldn't have it, and um, the selling of alcohol is regula highly regulated in the UAE. Uh, every emirate has a you know slightly different implementation, but you know here in Dubai you have you, you you go to a supermarket there is no alcohol that you can buy there. You need to go to a separate liquor store, and you have to have a license that requires a certain process to uh, to obtain. You need to get from the entity that is sponsoring your visa, which might be your employer. You need to get a, a non-objection certificate for that. Uh, you need to, obviously you need to be non-Muslim, right? If you're Muslim, you're not entitled to get a liquor license. And the whole process, you know, takes a week or so, costs some money. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a, of a hassle. And then you have to go to special liquor stores that charge you an outrageous amount of money for, uh, for, for anything alcoholic. And from what I hear, and I don't know, I, I don't have uh, reliable sources to this, so it might as well be an urban legend, but uh, from what I hear, the uh, Dubai Duty Free, which is the duty free shop of Dubai Airport, is one of the biggest outlets of alcohol in the world. Because when, when, you, when you come into Dubai, uh, you, you can buy alcohol in duty free, entering Dubai with no license. By the way, next time you come to visit me, uh, you have to please bring in some alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> it will be soon. Uh, I'm, I'm coming next month, by the way. Oh, fantastic. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm, looking forward, I'm looking forward yeah, to, we're finally to, uh, to having a beer with you. And um, the, so that, long story short, that, that was just the preface, uh, that is being lifted. <laughs> okay. So that, that, that is being lifted. So, so for uh, the, the, the restriction to need a, a, a liquor license will be lifted or has been lifted. I'm not sure whether it's been implemented or not. And I think that that is the first step to, towards eventually having something like, you know, in Turkey where you can buy a beer in a supermarket, right? Um, so- Pablo, so there, talk there, about there, this there, topic. Okay. We were talking about, you know, how, how the, you know, a lot of people say the enlightenment changed Christianity into what it is now with all its problems. There's, there's a lot of problems involved. We, we kind of lost this, this connection with God, we lost this, this ability to really strive forward. We lost a lot of inspiration that, that, that scientists had just to find out where God is. And there's a lot of things that, especially now in the last 50 to, to 100 years, are being associated with godlessness. I don't know if this is fair um, in the first place. Um, I'm not especially religious, but I, I do believe there is some utility to religion. And People are, are kind of curious, is Islam in, in these very progressive places like Dubai just going through the same phase right now? And will they come up with like a, a second uh, intellectual revolution like Islam had in the ninth century, eighth century? Or is that is it something where people rather not talk about? It's becoming more liberal, but please don't tell anyone. 
Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's an amazing question, and I, I'm not sure I have a clear answer to it. Uh, but let, let me give it a try. So, I th I think that it's clear that in the West, religion has been has become more and more what I think Richard Dawkins, if I recall correctly, calls uh, the god of the gaps, which is uh, basically, uh, you know, a thousand years ago. God was responsible for everything, uh, seen from perspective from the perspective of mankind. So, if it would rain, it was God. Uh, if uh, there was an earthquake, it was God. Um, and then, you know, uh, 60, 50 years ago, uh, we discovered that actually continents uh, float on a on a on a sea of magma, and and that uh, you know earthquakes are caused by uh, the you know the the, the 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 clash of tectonic plates, and so God lost a job, right? Uh, well, to, to I don't know earthquake. if that's fair. We just moved it a level higher, right? So we, 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 God is always what we can't explain, and it gives us this ability to not yeah, be, yeah, yeah, yeah. To that, not that, be that, that, put down by this, right? So we, we now say, oh, it's quantum mechanics or whatever is behind quantum mechanics. So there's always right, there's exactly. a lot of places left, right? So, so the, 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 the argument of the God of the gaps is to say the gap is becoming... Uh, as science evolves and is able to explain many things that previously were explained through religion, um, uh, you know, God, God uh, the responsibility scope of God is reduced to things that cannot be explained by science, and and then uh, people express their 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 beliefs uh, in in. I mean, this is for 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 you know for for enlightened uh, uh, people that that believe in in. In, in science, so to say, but as uh, 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 this guy, what's his name, the uh, um, Grass Tyson uh, said, uh, the beautiful thing about science is that it's true whether you believe it or uh, in, in it or not, right? So, so the uh, that's probably true about religion too. Think Sorry? about it. I mean, but that's true about a certain religious belief too, right? It is. It is to an extent true for the believers, even if you are not a believer, right? For them, it's true. It's their reality. For you, it's not true. So science, yes, but I mean, science is also being replaced by the next wave of science next in the next fifty years, right? Think about all the the iterations of gravity. No, 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 no. Uh, so, so, so the I, th I think I think that the scientific principle is something that, uh, that that you know that is based on evidence and that is based on uh, on on proof and the fact that. As opposed to, an, uh, you know, in, in the religious scheme of thinking, where uh, you know you 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 might very well accept exceptions. You might say, yeah, God is good, but you know, a lot of th bad things happen. But okay, these are exceptions, and there are, you know, you, you you try to find workarounds to explain those. In science, if you find one example that disproves your theory, and you have a million examples that prove the theory, the theory is disproven. With one, right? So that 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 is that is an, an exception. Yes. Well, I don't. I, yes. Okay. But I I agree with what you're saying. But I don't know if the implications are really that different, because we we kind of see science as this new god, right? The, the atheist sees science and technology as your new god. That's the, the San Francisco religion, so to speak, and they associate a lot of things that we would typically prefer in another in another religious belief. They now are moved up into that level. You you still believe. You just you, you move your belief into into a different wording, into a different value system. I feel. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so um, that, 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 that's that's a that's a that's a big rabbit hole. But you know, just just to close the loop uh, on, yes, on, yes. Sorry, on, on the on the point on the point you said uh, initially uh, regarding the uh, you know is Islam and and the way that uh, religion is is um, is uh, part of of life here and how it. Uh, how 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 the UAE or Dubai specifically is dealing with that tension between modernism and and religion, right? Yeah. So I, I I think that uh, clearly this is a, a place as we said at the beginning that is driven by business and has a very strong ambition to become a um, a hub for science. Clearly, this is already a, a hub for business. It's become, you know, uh, in, in, term, in terms of a sector that you know very well, airlines, uh, you know, biggest international airport in the world, even though this is a relatively small city. Um, uh, and, and other areas, we spoke in the last uh, podcast about how Dubai has, has become or is, you know, becoming more and more a hub for, for technology, for startups. Um, and I think that, the government has clearly shown a strong commitment to uh, make Dubai a hub for sciences as well. A few, a, a few uh, symptoms of, of that of that intention are uh, the fact that, for instance, if you are a scientist, you get a, a so-called golden visa here, a ten-year visa, which otherwise. You know, if, if you're a normal citizen, non-scientist, so to say, uh, you get a two-year visa. It's relatively easy to get a visa in Dubai. You just need a job uh, or you can set up your own company, relatively easy. But if you come as a scientist with credentials, um, you get a 10-year visa, right? So that is clearly, uh, you know, an, an effort from the government to, to, uh, to incentivize the... Um, the development of the sciences here. Also, the the whole thing. Another example that pops to my head is the the whole handling of the pandemic. Right, has been clearly science driven, clearly. Um, so the, um, the the scientific method method have, has been applied. Clearly, the, our leadership has looked at what works and what doesn't work. Uh, and they have implemented whatever works in other places. Boom, and let's do it, right? Um, that's the vaccine. Very, that's a very, very, I won't talk about the vaccine, but it's believing the science is something that has become a character in the US. I don't know if you ever followed that, but believe the science means we do everything that isn't science, and then we pretend <laughs> it's science. That's what it means here. <laughs> it obviously hasn't been really enforced, but that's kind of what it means by now, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so so I mean, I I find it uh, um, kind of amusing. And by the way, I'm going to the U.S. next week, uh, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna see uh, see it with my own eyes. But um, yeah, I, 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 that, that, which place are you going to? Which state? Uh, my my son is graduating in Pennsylvania, so I'm going to go to the East Coast, uh, okay. fly to uh, to JFK, and then uh, uh, attending the graduation in Pennsylvania. And um, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm used by all this discussion about that, all, all this politis politization of uh, of wearing masks as, you know, as if wearing masks would, 
you know, curtail uh, the individual freedom. Uh, you know, it from, does. I, 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 it does. Sorry? It, it fully does. Now, the, the argument you can make, is it worth it? And is this invasion of privacy, is one of the strongest invasions of privacy in 200 years, is it worth it? And I'm probably with you it is, but you, you've got to admit it's an enormous invasion of your own freedom. You can say the same about wearing clothing, right? That's 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 another exactly. thing. I mean, it's 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 exactly. not yeah. just the mask thing, right? There's lots of other rules, and we we, we kind of have come historically to a decision, and nobody fights them anymore. But with the masks, it definitely uh, isn't true. Arguably, arguably, if if you follow if you follow science, right? And there is, I'm not an expert in this. I I you know, if you have a different opinion, I won't be able to to discuss with you in detail. But from what I heard from reliable sources is that there is enough scientific evidence that shows that the humidity that is the, the you know the the, the the area of humidity caused by the wearing masks uh, 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 leads to a to a to the body uh, to the mucus system in in your in your in your body to be able to pre preempt the um the the, the the virus better than than otherwise that's one and also, when it comes to spreading the virus, obviously, having a physical barrier uh, to, to preempt it for me, that, that's, that's, a, that's, that's very clear. You don't need science. You don't need to make experiments to, to do it. That, that's, that's very obvious for me. So, and, you know, if, if you follow science, you can say, well, actually, uh, wearing clothes is, it, it might be a cultural thing, and you might want or not want to see people naked in the streets, right? But uh, what do I care? What do I care? But when when it comes to getting the virus from other people i do care about that right so um so so but you'll get it anyways uh, you'll get it anyways the only way is to protect yourself with really proper equipment that's at minimum an n95 i'm arguably 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 i'm not going to get it anymore because i'm vaccinated now <laughs> well that's the, here's the problem even if you're vaccinated these all these rules still apply even for the people who are vaccinated and yes, we don't know yeah. enough what the vaccine actually does, and I, I, I'm with you. But the the argument that this is not a huge invasion of, of, of our personal rights, I don't buy yeah. this. Now, is it worth it? I'm probably with you it is worth it because it's a relative small yeah. sense and it can protect a lot of people. Does it protect exactly. people a lot? It's not my experience. In my experience, it seems to be, and there was just a study coming out today, it really doesn't matter how far away you are from people, you sooner or later get this thing. And it kind of rolls through the population. And fortunately, we didn't know this in March, right? In March, it seemed like we get ones and then half the population dies. And it didn't happen that way, which is really fortunate. It could have been that way, right? We could have been just all oh, the half of the population would have been dead by now. That absolutely is possible. But I don't think mm. wearing masks made any difference. It will make any difference. It just slows it down a little bit, but it still rolls through the population. You can't do much about it. I wish you could. So, 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 so the, the the good the good thing about uh, about this discussion is that uh, the country, the UAE here, uh, made the call that wearing mask is a uh, uh, a trade off worth making, yep. and they said you have to wear masks, and if you don't, you'll face consequences, and the consequences are you know huge fines uh, and potentially. Further, you know, you might end up even in jail for for not wearing a mask. No, I'm not so sure now, I want to come to the UAE. <laughs> well, uh, the thing is, it becomes second second nature, right? So, whilst initially you would go out of your house and you know 
two minutes later, realize when you see other people that you're not wearing masks, you have to go back, get your mask. Uh, over time, it becomes second nature. And, and I, if if I if I was if I was government, um, I would keep the the mass restriction for a long time until you know the the, the crisis is completely overcome. Because now that you have uh, gone through the painful prof process of creating a habit in the population for something that is demonstrable uh, a barrier to transmission. Uh, then why, why, why lift it, right? Why, why, when, when you've done the job now, the, the difficult part has, the difficult job has been done, which is to create the habit. Now that the habit is there, why lift it? So, I, I mean, I'm vaccinated. I think that's, a, I, I, think that's a, I think that's not a good idea, but that's, that's, a, it, it really is a, it's a small nuisance in this way to get out of this. So it, it's, but it's, I think it's also, when, when I went to a lot of places um, in the last six months and the idea of wearing a mask and the idea of wearing a mask is very different it's so the, the idea is instituted very differently from place to place it's more of a, um, a status symbol or a social symbol or virtual signal symbol and other in some places and others it's well i'm just going to wear a mask right and i think this might be the well, it, 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 it isn't it isn't here it isn't here because here you have to Right, so the decision hub is taken away from you. You 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 have no choice. You have to, yeah. unless you're sitting in a. If you're sitting in a restaurant on a table in a restaurant, you're allowed to remove your mask. Otherwise, or if you, you eat in an airplane, all... everyone takes off their mask at the same time. Sorry, <laughs> if you eat in an airplane, right, an economy, right, yeah. everyone ah, takes ah, off yeah. their mask at the same time. It, all right, it, this thing is, is well, it's well intended. I don't think there's much utility to it. But anyway, so let's talk about the vaccine for a second. I know that UAE has, has really built a business case around at the vaccines. And that's pretty spectacular yep. because we, we, we basically just think of it as this expense that we have to go through this. But the UAE seems to be in a, on, a, on a track that they say, well, we can actually make money with this. Absolutely. That, 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 that is uh, what, what's been done here is quite impressive. We have... Uh, uh, we, we basically the 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 population of the UAE has the option to uh, to receive any of three vaccines, and literally you call a call center, and you have to enter your ID and go through a, a kind of a menu in the call center, and then they ask you. Please press one if you would like to have the Pfizer vaccine, plus two if you would like to have the AstraZeneca vaccine, or press three if you would like to have the Sinopharm vaccine. So, so you literally choose for yourself. And there, initially at the beginning uh, of the rollout, there were some restrictions with, uh, with one or the other. The AstraZeneca vaccine had some, uh, uh, some, some issues uh, with some unexpected uh, side effects. Uh, and, and that got kind of put on hold. The, 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 the timing between the first and second jab was changed. But anyway, um, overall, as a population residents in the UAE, so not only nationals, but also all residents, have the option of receiving any of three vaccines and to do it for free. And the, the vaccination rate has been very steep. Uh, I don't haven't checked the latest numbers, but I would say that um, we are 
in terms of having received the first job, we must be by, I don't know, 70% or so of, of the population and fully vaccinated with two jobs, perhaps, I don't know, 40, 50% or some, something like that. Uh, number two in the world, only after Israel. And if you see what happened in Israel with the reduction of uh, the spread of the virus, uh, the so-called uh, R0, uh, so how many people uh, uh, get, uh, get the virus from, from if, 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 if somebody is sick, how, to how many people they transmit the virus. And during the, the heights of the pandemic, uh, the R0 number was, uh, I don't know, something like two or more than two or 1.5, or I don't remember, uh, you know, every, everybody that got the virus would pass it to more than one person. And that's why the numbers would explode, right, exponentially. Um, and 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 the the objective of uh, pandemic prevention uh, or, or or management is to bring the R zero number below one, so that if, you know that means that the, the entire thing dies off. If one person passes it to less than one person, then the whole thing over time will die off. And that is clearly what happened in Israel, and that is what is going to happen here in the UAE as well. So that we will, uh, if if we are not already there, we will reach herd immunity very soon. As you know, the second country in the world probably that 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 has that has uh, achieved that. Now, initially, when when we got the vaccination program underway, uh, it was criticized from the Western press that the UAE would, you know, buy uh, vaccines uh, to to you know, to to secure uh, you know vaccines for its own population, uh, and and in a way, it's so unfair because other people that might need the vaccine more in other places would not have access to it, while we here we have access to it uh, because we're so rich, right? So that 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 was the argument from, uh, let's say, people with a left-leaning agenda. I um, no. but I'd say this is this is the how the world works, and this is how it always worked. If if you're pro productive enough, especially on a wider scale, obviously we don't necessarily want um, access to medicine from from billionaires or by billionaires. But the world works by increasing your own productivity and then using the fruits of this productivity to mostly your own benefit, your own nation state, your 100%. own city, um, maybe your 100%. own your own family even but this is how the world always works this is creating a lot of good incentives right this is a good incentive that you you have a little more out of life because you struggled for the longest time to make slightly more out of the given resources and i think this is 100 the human nature and that, that shouldn't be something we should worry about at, at, at any point right and i fully agree with you and i fully 100 agree with you and the 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 my 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 response to that argument would be that the um, first first of all, as you very well said, right? If you have the means, uh, not doing it would would be crazy, right? But it goes beyond that, in my perspective. For me, the decision that the country made, that the leadership of our country made, uh, to 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 have a very, very aggressive vaccination campaign um, was a very, very business-driven decision, an economic decision, if you will. Uh, so if, if, you, if you run the numbers uh, from 
public information that I gather, uh, the vaccines cost between uh, a couple of dollars to uh, you know, $20 or so per uh, dose. And the most expensive being the, the Pfizer vaccine, which we also have here. Even if, if you take that, that high, high cost, right, of $20 per, per jab, um, you need two of those, so it's $40. And then the UAE has a population of around about 10 million, a little bit less inhabitants. So you need basically $400 million. $400 million to create, to vaccinate your entire population. And secondly, you also would need to have uh, the whole infrastructure for, you know, to deliver the vaccine. So you need, you know, hospitals and so on and so forth. So let's, let's say you need another billion or so to, uh, for the actual delivery, right? So you would end up with one and a half billion, let's call it two billion, uh, something like that. That is, first of all, for a country like the UAE, not so much. Actually, for many developed countries, that is not so much. And you wonder why other countries didn't do it. Um, and second, if I you look at it from the I point... I don't do you know, actually know, Pablo, why Europe didn't procure all the, the vaccines. It seems a mystery to me. Like, it seems it's, it's a given, right? And it, But is it a money problem or is it just bureaucracy? Does anybody know or is it just we don't know? We're trying to find out like 20 years later. Uh, well, uh, I mean, I, I have no clue. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky to be in this country. I'm, you know, I, I'm fully vaccinated myself already, uh, thanks to the, you know, the great organization here and the vision that the country had to, to have a, a very, very fast rollout. But the point that I wanted to make is that for me, that is a business case in itself. If you consider, if you look at it from the point of return of, on investment, and you say, okay, I have to invest. $2 billion, let's say, uh, what kind of return of, on investments am I going to get? Well, if I am going to be the number two country in the world to create herd immunity, where this country is going to be, you know, COVID is over, basically, so that business can be conducted in a, in a you know, in, in an unrestricted fashion, the country will be open to all the world for tourism, and tourism is obviously a very uh, important industry here. Um, and by the way, we have the Expo 2020, which was supposed to happen in 2020, but it's now 2021, starting in October 2021 until April 2022, which is going to be the greatest show in the world, uh, as the ads say, and I'm sure it will be. Uh, so. And you want to be able to offer to the whole world a safe environment, right? So what is going to be the return on, on, on your investment of $2 billion for an entire country that's going to be able to operate its, its economy in a normal way, unrestricted, and is going to be able to welcome the world to, for the greatest show in the world uh, for six months, right? It's going to be a gigantic return on, on investment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, nobody doubts that public health is usually good investment. I mean, there's some some, some edge cases where you you prevent diseases at high cost that actually affect a very small part of the population. But I think vaccines in general, if you can make them available, and they're incredibly cheap. I don't even know why they're so cheap. Think about all these, the the medication, um, the drugs that we produce and the prescription drugs. They're really really not cheap right and i don't even know but maybe it's the liabilities because of you are not liable for any any harm that you do with the vaccine maybe that makes such a big difference i don't actually know 
but they seem incredibly cheap. Not investing in vaccines seems foolish. I mean, it's, it's what, $200 per person, $500 per person. It's, it's a joke, right? Given what it would could do to bring economic activity back. Everyone should do it. And I think everybody wants to, but it's, it's being, and that's all I know really is that the, the U.S. had a venture capitalist who, who ran that operation, the Operation Warp Speed. And in the U.S. it was, and in Europe it was the normal bureaucracy that, that tackled that problem. And that is the difference in speed of, this actually made the difference? I have no idea. Um, and it is, I think it's it's so simple to, for, for, for the very small amount of money to, to heal all the economic malaise we are in. So it seems very, very obvious that it should be the priority of a government. Maybe that, tar that speaks to that point that governments m all around the planet are basically useless. They're just making the life of their citizens worse. This seems to be surprisingly better in a few select countries. And I mean, Dubai is more city than a country, I would say, and probably all United Arab Emirates. They seem to have figured out a way to to make things better and not fall into this trap. And I think where we are right now in the US, we have this whole side of libertarians, you know, basically they, they suggest an anarcho-capitalism. So it's kind of the idea of we, we now have adopt Bitcoin as our currency. We just abandoned the dollar. The dollar has its problems. Is it fixable? Absolutely. Do we have to go to Bitcoin? It's a little ridiculous. And because we can't even run transactions on Bitcoin less than 15 minutes, it takes forever. I mean, there's a lot of problems with Bitcoins, maybe not yeah, generally, yeah. generally with cryptocurrency, but there's like, they go so far as to say, well, we don't want to talk to anyone anymore because we can't convince these people. We we want to just stay in our safe zones and in our bubbles. Um, we want to uh, we don't want to build infrastructure anymore because we we don't really need it, right? We just we just I don't only care about those people who believe in what I believe, and this is whatever five percent population, ten percent population. So there is this huge side of of the American debate that we treated it as its extreme libertarianism, which. On the first glance, you know, Ayn Rand seems very interesting, but it is not something that brings a whole country forward. Like it's it's almost like instead of building road, we all get bigger cars with bigger shocks and bigger tires. It, it's it's not useful, right? We all know this because we can run the numbers and we can see yeah. what comes out of it. Better infrastructure basically always pays off. There's some trade-offs where it didn't work out that way, but there's very few examples. And, but I don't know if it's the population who has lost that believe, and the Europe is further ahead in this than the US, but I think we're, we're going towards the European model. If the population has lost the belief in their own in their own better future, or is it the governments who are simply useless and just, you know, almost like a Soviet government, sabotage everything that the citizens want to do? I haven't really made up my mind, but it feels like this is a, this is a disease that has been going on for a long time, 40, 50 years, basically since mid 70s, early 70s, if not earlier. Well, it goes back to the discussion of, um, you know, individual freedom versus the collective benefit, right? And, and, and different countries, you know, set set the, the their 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 preferred uh, compromise uh, in different places. In, in the case of the U.S., historically, the U.S. has has been kind of the the, the most individualistic country, where individual freedoms uh, take precedence over everything else, uh, and and that is that is that is great, and and the U.S. is is is, is an amazing country, uh, but you know it has to be clear that that has its cost, right? So, for instance, the 
the perennial discussion about gun violence in in the U.S. or police brutality, police police violence in the U.S. In from you know as 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 an external observer, for me that is clearly linked to the kind of a Second Amendment right of bear arms. So if if you if you have a society like here, you know arms are, are not allowed in the UAE. I cannot bear an arm as a private citizen. Only the police is allowed to do it. And there are, you know, zero, zero weapons uh, out, outside, of, outside of the, the armed forces. Um, if you, so if the police faces me, right, they would know that I'm not a threat to them because I'm not, you know, in 99.99% of the situations, I'm not going to have an, a weapon with me. Right. Whereas in the U.S., if a policeman faces, well, that's a really uh, special case. That's a really special case, Pablo, because you can buy in pretty much any place in the developed and non-developed world, you can buy a gun for two hundred bucks everywhere. It's it's. I mean, it's. So I'm, 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 I'm just. I'm just. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not making the case for for one or the other. I'm just trying to make the point of of the the cost that has to be paid. Uh, but it's for. For but, individual but, freedom, uh, but let, everyone let, can let, have let a gun finish. anyways. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, irrespective Sorry? if you allow it or not, everyone can have a gun. It, it doesn't matter if you say there's a Second Amendment or not. You can literally for buy for two hundred dollars. You can buy a gun anywhere you are. Maybe, Dubai is a special place because it is very well regulated and actually enforced. But generally, the cost of a gun is really, really low. Well, I mean, I, I, um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know about. Uh, uh, you know, gun laws in all over the world. Uh, but from what I gather, uh, you know, places like Australia, uh, in, in, in Western Europe in general, you have, uh, you know, gun ownership is highly regulated. So while it can be, you can buy a gun, you have to go through a lot of hurdles to be able to do it, right? So that- Illegally, illegally. No, I mean, illegally you can buy this gun. I'm not saying it's you're breaking the law by buying a gun, but in black markets, it's available. That's usually the price point. It's available anywhere you go on the planet. Yeah, you, you're breaking the law, and you—that's an offense. It can get you into prison by itself without using it, just buying it, right? So there is yeah. a risk to it, but it's readily available if you are on that side, on the criminal side, so to speak, anywhere on the planet. Right. Um, okay. That that that's that's uh, that that's a good point. I, I, I guess I guess that. That applies to everything, right? So if, if you if you're outside the boundaries of the law, uh, then then uh, you know uh, many things don't apply, right? Uh, so so the, the the point that I was trying to make is that because in the U.S. you have more arms than more weapons than than people, uh, and I, I believe that that's the only case in the whole the only country in the whole world where, where that is the case. Um, you know, for me is that there, has that consequence. I think are, I have the same ratio. Oh, is that right? Okay, um, but but you know that 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 means that if I, if I'm a if I'm a policeman in the U.S. and have to assume that every suspect that I have in front of me might be, there is a high probability that that person would be carrying a weapon, right? Then. Uh, the precautions that I would have to take are completely different and in, the, in an entirely different league than the precautions I would have to take if I'm, say, in Dubai, where I might still be the one in a million illegal person carrying a gun, but uh, 
but but you know most likely it's not going to be the case right so that that has clear consequences on 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 the relationship between uh the 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 law enforcement and the population right uh, so yeah, for sure but i think you you're looking at it at, this isn't the problem i feel the problem that we have in the us is we have a huge rate of of more violent crime than you would expect the level of income so if you say the level of income is a factor for development it's maybe not the best proxy but we can make that argument compared to most other places on the planet not all but many in a, in a in that league we have way more violent crime I don't think this is because of guns. Well, guns play a role. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, and the availability of guns also plays a role. So it is a difference if you if you buy it legally or not. So it is a, it's a level of risk you have to go through, right? I, I give you that point, but I think there's more to it. We have this huge. We would still have even if you the Second Amendment goes away tomorrow and all the guns go away. Let's just assume this. We would still have this higher elevated level of violence. There's something else going on. That's obviously ripe for speculation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but we diverted. Uh, we I didn't want to to go into a full blown discussion on, on Second Amendment, but uh, more more Islam. See. <laughs> yeah. You, you moved moved the topic. That's okay. That's great. Um. So the po the point was that the 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 point that you started was the the value of having a regulated environment uh, that that is that is directed towards the say the common good as opposed to an environment that is uh, where where the individual freedom take takes precedence over everything right so that, that that was the point that you the direction that you wanted to go into and clearly dubai is an example of uh, in in terms of the economy, right? Uh, I I have a certain sympathy for for uh, the uh, you know the views that that you have to leave markets to, to their own devices and and everything is going to you know the the, the invisible hand is going to take care for everything. Um, I. I have, you know, personally, philosophically, I, I sympathize with, with that uh, worldview. Um, however, living in a place that has, one, a free economy, but at the same time, a very regulated economic environment or, or, or life in general, uh, uh, I have to say that it is clear that the... Uh, the, the uh, Dubai can be seen as a, as a positive example of uh, of what positive regulation can achieve. Um, and let, let me give you the one I example. Agree. Could, that... could you teach this to more places, please? How? Yeah. I fully agree. <laughs> I fully agree. And it's you know I was I wanted to ask you this question, and I know we, we might be able to combine this with what you just were about to say. I was asking Jim, Jim Rogers, and. You know, I was asking him, so where is this place you should, we should invest in? So what is, by his own measures, obviously a place that has maybe been through a crisis, but it's it's coming out with the right concept and has the right catalyst. And for him, as a personal experience, not just necessarily as an investment, this was Asia, this was Singapore. This was the place yes. where he wants to be. He wants to be in Asia yeah. because for him, he said, 
you know, it used to be London 200 years ago, 100 years ago, it was New York City. Now it's Asia, Singapore, or maybe Shanghai, if, if we had a little more freedom, maybe. Do you feel for the next 100 years, Dubai is that place because it found that model and it has this, this magic, whatever that is sometimes hard to describe what that magic really is? I do, actually. Uh, I, I, I think that assuming that there is no change in the uh, government philosophy, so to say, and, and that is obviously a wild card because we are in, a, in an absolute monarchy uh, here. Uh, so you have, you're subject to, in, in a way, the, you know, being lucky or unlucky in the succession line of the uh, of the monarchs, right? Uh, a, a son might come, uh, you know, the crown, a crown prince, a crown prince. I'm not talking about the crown prince of Dubai, but a crown prince uh, in you know 50 years from now might might come into power, which has a different opinion about things, and and things might change in 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 a, in a different might go in a different direction. But assuming that the philosophy that has made this country so successful uh, continues, I see no scenario where um, Dubai is not, you know, does not continue to be a great success. Uh, I, I, I think this is a, clearly a, a winning, a winning, uh, a, a winning economic philosophy. Uh, and and let, let me explain a little bit why. So if, if you think of, uh, as I said before, the 95% of the population here are foreigners. Uh, we all ca came here by our own choice, right? And so why did we come here, right? Uh, so the residence visa in, in the UAE and Dubai in particular is linked to work, right? If you either have uh, an employment from a company that has hired you or if you have your own company, uh, that entity has the right following certain rules to sponsor your your visa, right? So you become a resident uh, by uh, virtue of your work, right? Um, so there is in Dubai or in the UAE, there are no income taxes. So all your income ends up in your own pocket. Um, at the same time, there is no social security, uh, no education and healthcare provided by the government. Uh, 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 so it, it's all private, right? So you you pay no taxes, but you have to buy your own services, so to say. Um, if you don't have work, you have no visa. So that means that basically, if you work for a company and you get fired, you have one month to leave the country, right? It's, it's pretty brutal, right? So if, if you imagine you've, you've been living here for 15 years, you have your family, your children, your car and your dog, uh, in the country, right? And then you have, you get fired, you have one month to leave the country. There are works around, around it and, 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 and things uh, work out just fine, but, but that, that's the principle, right? So basically what you have is an extreme carrot and stick system where uh, you have a huge incentive to be productive because all the earnings will end up in your, in your pocket. And you have a huge disincentive to be unproductive because if you don't have work, you have to leave. So that, that, that philosophy attracts high-performance, high-performing individuals, right? Attract uh, risk-takers, attract people that, uh, you know, adventure souls that are looking for, uh, for, for a better future uh, and are ready to leave everything behind in their own countries and come to a place like Dubai. 
So I want to I want to want to want to interject for one second because when I hear about the people who came to America in the 19th, 20th century, early 20th century, the assumption is always those are basically the people that had no value, no future in wherever they came from. That's the only reason they came to the U.S. They had maybe a pioneering spirit, but they were like, they weren't the brightest and smartest. We, we think that now, but in their country, they were definitely the rejects. Do you think that's tr true for Dubai? Because we, we always, we, we, they obviously have this adventurous gene that they need to come to Dubai. Well, there's obviously always a, a, a factor of opportunity cost, right? So if you have, you, you will always, if you're taking the decision to move to Dubai or anywhere for that matter, uh, you will be comparing your status quo uh, wherever you are with the opportunities that the alternative is offering you, right? Sure. So the, the better off you are in, in, in your current uh, in your current situation, uh, the higher the opportunity cost is that you that that the new world that you move into will have to surpass, right? So, and arguably, the opportunity cost for all the immigrants to the Americas coming from an impoverished uh, Europe and and you know wars and everything uh, would have been quite low, right? Um, and, and that is also the case for the. Uh, for 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 many immigrants that that come to Dubai, that come from very poor places, and and then uh, you know the, the the slightly better conditions that they might find in Dubai are are, are a win compared to what they have uh, what they have left behind. That also applies to something um, which I also wanted to comment on, which which is which is a very very interesting trend that I have observed myself since I have moved here uh, uh, thirteen years ago. Back then when I moved here, the running joke was, when you move to Dubai, you get two buckets. One bucket is labeled money and the other bucket is labeled shit. And you stay in Dubai and you put the money that you make in the one bucket and you put all the shit that you have to bear with uh, in the other bucket. And as soon as one of the buckets is full, you leave. Okay. So that was a running joke, right? Uh, and so that, that, to express the fact that Dubai was a very transient city, that people would just come here to make money and, and, and leave whenever they made enough money or whenever they were sick and tired of all the shit that they have to bear. Now, that has changed. That has changed significantly. And I have seen it myself. And I have seen it in particular in the Muslim diaspora and Arab diaspora. As you know, there is a you know a big diaspora in say the U.S., uh, U.K., uh, Europe, uh, uh, Muslims and Arabs uh, that have a you know and say a British passport, Canadian passport, American passport, uh, to a lesser extent other European uh, nations as well. French, obviously. Now, after 9/11, being a Muslim or an Arab in the West has become less of an attractive proposition. There's all sorts of um, you know, issues with that, and it, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. At the same time, Dubai became a world-class city, a place where you have all the advantages of uh, you know, living in a, in a very developed place, uh, arguably more than, than, than in many places in the West. And so what I have seen myself is that, uh, you know, 13 years ago, uh, people, 
acquaintances of mine would come would move from London uh, or from from the US or from France to Dubai, Muslims or Arabs, uh, with the idea of staying here for two, three, four, five years. 13 years hence, they're still here. And they see themselves as you know staying here because that, that this this has become their 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 country because their 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 place their home right um, because you as a Muslim or as an Arab you are you're not in in a minority or in, in a significant minority um, the country is very friendly to all religions very you know very open to the whole world uh, and and you have everything that you had back home uh, in 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 London or in New York or uh, you know. So basically you get the best of both worlds here, right? And that has created a culture where people don't come and go as much as before. Granted, this is still a transient place, but you have much more people. I have you know, plenty of friends which have been here for, for more than a decade uh, and, and that they see themselves staying here uh, forever, basically. So, so th this 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 has 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 become a significant a significant trend on the back of uh, that cost of opportunity that we spoke before, right? Uh, uh, you know, what am what am I leaving behind, and what am I finding uh, in, in Dubai? Yeah, it sounds like the the, the only thing missing is that you're going to run for public office in Dubai. You seem you seem quite <laughs> a disciple. <laughs> what, 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 well, what uh, when are you announcing this? Is that, are, you, are you thinking about that? Um, one, one of the beauties about uh, uh, living in the UAE is that there is no public office oh, to talk is, about. Even on that. a local level? <laughs> I thought you, have, like, you must have a mayor. Who, who's the mayor? Of Dubai? Uh, no, we, we, we have, uh, we have uh, uh, the ruler of, of Dubai, uh, which, which is uh, His Highness uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid, uh, which is also the vice president of the UAE. So wait, you don't uh, elect anyone, even like on the school board or you know, like like local functions. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, good, it, it, like a neighborhood district supervisor. I don't know. No, no. So so everything is uh, so the the it's an absolute monarchy. So everything that is related to government would be within the realm of, uh, of, of, of the ruler. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in the private sector, obviously, when it comes to schools, you would have governing boards for schools, which are uh, determined by, by, uh, by, by the private companies that run the schools, right? But otherwise, uh, no. Uh, but, but yes, indeed, I, 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 you know, I've been 13 years here. I, I, I love it here. It's uh, it's it's a great great place place to place to live, and I uh, while I you know I could see myself living living elsewhere as well, uh, but I'm here by choice, right? Uh, this is this is a place that I think has a has a great lifestyle, a great compromise. Uh, you know, there's no perfect place in we, the world, right? We want to see your ankles. Pablo, so we want to make sure you don't have an ankle monitor, <laughs> and you have, you have to say very positive things about the body. No, I mean not. We, we believe you. <laughs> we believe you. It's it, you're very passionate about that, and that's you know that's that's amazing because I know you've been to a bunch of places, and it's it sounds like this is your home, right? This is this is the place where that you found for yourself. 
Yeah, well, uh, so so you, you you could also say that I am clearly a glass half full person, and uh, uh, living everywhere, I would try to find positives uh, to be to be happy, right? Because uh, uh, it it does it doesn't pay on the long run. You know, the, clearly uh, um, the, the 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 future uh, is 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 for the for the optimist, right? And I'm an optimist, uh, so yeah. wherever I live, I would find positive things. Uh, but once again, I'm here by choice. Uh, um, you know, I, 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 I could live basically, uh, you know, I'm happy to say that I've reached a stage in my life where I could live everywhere I wanted, uh, you know, assuming that I am allowed to go living in that country. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm here by choice. This is uh, the place where I, I see... Uh, we'd hope you know, so. I, we'd I, hope so, yes, yes. I mean, a lot of people would say that the place where you are is less of an importance. So we, we've cloudified ourselves, right? So we, we this is kind of what we, we are talking through this video interview. And a lot of things that happened with COVID, but even preceding COVID, we had the chance to, to take these wild dreams of the late 90s, we put them into place and we cloudified ourselves. So right now we can, we can even if we're on a physical place, we're, we're maybe not so happy, you seem to be very happy about it, but it doesn't really matter anymore because if we go, and I, you know, I notice myself, if I go to a different place, yes, maybe two or three hours of the day will be different, but the rest is exactly the same. I, look, I stare at the same screen, yeah. I drink the same kind of drink, I, I do the exact same thing at the same local hours. So there is a little bit of difference left, and I talk the same in the same language, but even if it's a slightly different language, it would be the same thing that I would, 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 would voice. I almost feel like be, even beyond countries, in the US it's always been true that you can move easily between states, but you can move to so many different places now. And yes, you can find slight differences if you're on the hunt for this. It's absolutely possible. But if you go slightly backwards and say, well, I want to be similar in a similar environment, digital nomad is my idea, looking for the next 40 years, it doesn't really matter where you are that much anymore. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I clearly get stimulated by the environment. Uh, where I am, uh, you know, I, and, and I, I like, uh, you know, cultural diversity. I like the fact that, you know, I, I walk down from my apartment uh, to, you know, walk, walk around the, um, the area where I live. Uh, and, and, you know, I would have, uh, I don't know, 20 restaurants uh, in walking distance from, from my home. And, and you would be uh, surrounded by people, you know, you would walk past uh, the tables and you would hear, uh, you know, ten languages uh, in 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 a short walk, right? You 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 would you would see uh, all sorts of ethnicities. Uh, you know, the whole world would be literally in my five minute walk, right? Uh, yeah. So so I, that that is something that I find very stimulating, and I I I, I, I like to um, to find people that have and, and and to to be able to interact with people all day and every day uh, that have completely different cultural backgrounds than my own. And, uh, you know, I, I find that very, very, very stimulating, right? So, so that, 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 that is something that um, obviously one of the reasons why I am here and uh, that you find to a lesser extent when you travel, uh, in, in, when you travel in different places, you, you, you find that those different cultural environments, but they're more monolithic, right? Within, so let's let's say you you travel to, um, I don't know, Georgia, right? You go to Georgia, and then in Georgia, obviously you find great is histories about Georgian people, but mostly you. Well, there's you mostly Russians Georgia. in summer. There's mostly Russians and Ukrainians in summer. 
All right. At least yeah, yeah. in Batumi, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It's maybe a bad example, yeah. but say you, yeah. I, I, I was assuming you would make that example of Ethiopia, where literally everyone is just, they, in Ethiopia, everyone thinks Ethiopia is the spiritual capital of the world, and the rest of the world is just, it's, it's in erroneous ways, right? It's, it's very strange. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like China has a similarity to this, but they all feel like, they have the truth in their hands, and finally you go there to see the truth. Now it's a fantastic, <laughs> yeah. but that's a yeah, little yeah, much, yeah. right? That's a that's a very communist idea, right? They've been shielded from anything else for the longest time, and now they're just coming out of this. I should I should have mentioned my my home country, Argentina, as as an example of that. Whether that is also very monolithic, uh, you don't have many foreigners, even though Argentina was built by foreigners. But uh, you know, meanwhile. Uh, so when when I went to school in Argentina, all my schoolmates in my primary school, in my secondary school, and in my university, everybody, everybody was Argentinian, right? Uh, my son went to school in Dubai, and in his class, uh, there would be 20, 20 students, and there would be 20 nationalities, right? Uh, so so that, 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 that is a big difference. Yeah, uh, that's a whole whole other topic. There is there is kind of a depth to be to swimming in your own sauce for long enough in your own water, right? There is a depth of experience. If you see this, you know this from Germany, where where people go into these rabbit holes, and, and Germany is really good at this. But they get really good at when they get into these rabbit holes. They they get really successful. They find something in there, right? They definitely lose the the bigger picture very easily. But they do find the specialization and you know japan is another example of this everyone is literally japanese but it's so fascinating japan and it's the everything is fascinating the food is fascinating the the the, the cars they drive yes. the way they behave yes. is so different right but it's so there seems to be two approaches to this one is to just you know the new york style dubai style singaporean style to be you do relatively open let the best rule i think this is awesome and then there is the other side that is we don't want to talk to you for the next 100 years, but then we come back to you, we give you this wonderful world of the very different solutions that you can learn yeah, from us. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that seems to be the German or Japanese answer to this. Yes, yes. Or maybe, maybe Chinese. Which, so. which, 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 as you say, is, is as fascinating to visit uh, as, as, as it is to visit a multicultural place, uh, to, 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 to see you know, how, how a culture has been kind of isolated from the rest of the world, can, can develop into something absolutely unique, right? So, so and, and Japan, I think, I think is, a, is the best example. And it's, it's, it's uh, you know, I absolutely love, uh, I only was there once, but you know, I, I'm really looking forward to be able to go to Japan uh, again. Uh, it's such a fascinating place. They will let us again. Well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to being in Dubai next month. So hopefully we'll find the time to catch up in person as well. Thanks for coming 100%. to the podcast again, Pablo. That was awesome. Thanks for taking the time. I know you had to get up My, really early. Uh, it, 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 was, it was a pleasure, Thorsten. Uh, a very stimulating and great conversation as always. Thank you. <laughs> Until next time, Pablo. Talk soon. Thank you.